Hello and welcome back to the BAC podcast and episode four as we delve into all things performance with the BAC Mono Supercar. Now, Mono is recognized as the ultimate performer on the road and track and boasts more than 10 production car lap records around the globe. So hopefully in this episode, we're going to find out exactly how that's been achieved. Helping me shed some light are the BAC co-founders, Neil and Ian Briggs. How are we, boys? Good, mate. How are you? Very, very good, Neil. <laughs> yeah, no, we're good. All set for another episode. Good, Looking can't wait. Let's get stuck in. So we established in episode three that Mono's performance was the very first thing you guys thought about when it came to creating the car. So what were you aiming to create in terms of performance? And did the finished result actually surpass your expectations? I think, uh, I mean, firstly, obviously, you know, we, we, we know um, already about the singularity of purpose of the car, which defines its, uh, defines its layout, et cetera. Um, and once you've got the base architecture of the car, you're into a, um, essentially a, uh, a systems exercise of defining various different targets. Um, and obviously that's where the, the pushrod suspension came from and the, the, the central driving position allows you to really optimize the, the kinematics of the suspension. Um, it comes from, from, from some basic uh, targets, really, in terms of the, the, different, um, the different geometry we've got on the suspension, from everything from, um, from defining um, the, the, the static camber um, and then through to what we call the camber gain, to how the wheels articulate, um, what you want to do with, uh, with the, the wheel at particular movements. Um, and then, of course, how you control it through the springs and the dampers, uh, what the ride uh, frequency uh, target was to, to try and give a certain level of, of plushness to the ride uh, on both the, the road and the track. Um, so ultimately, you know, it, it, all of those things came together. Um, obviously, it was built on a lot of our previous experience of, of, of working on other projects. So there was a, um, a high level of expectation in terms of how the car would perform. But of course, anytime you ever really get to uh, to understand that is when you physically drive the car and, and ultimately test the car against the, the, the stopwatch, which is, is, is the benchmark. There's, there's no arguments uh, with that. And, um, and that was really the, the, the beginnings of it all, really. I know from my point of view, it was probably, it was, it was less technical uh, in, the, in the way Neil kind of saw the story. I, I had a feeling, uh, again, like the design of the car, I had a feeling of what it would feel like to drive the car. It kind of grew from uh, an earlier conversation. I don't know if we mentioned it on another podcast, but long journey in a truck, long story short, um, a very successful racer had, had, uh, had told me what it's like and how formula cars respond to driver inputs and things. And doing track days with various other cars, I, I knew that that wasn't the case with 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 the cars I owned. Um, and so, you know, I had this, this, this imagination of going into a hairpin and just how direct everything would feel and how precise it would feel like, like, like when I was racing carts. And so that very first drive, I mean, the very, very first drive was, as we've mentioned before, in the night around a car park, but at the Verva street race, where I did actually get to drive it properly around a uh, albeit a, a street circuit and not at 10 tenths by, by any means, you know, seven, eight, maybe. Um, it was great to feel that, this, 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 you sit in the middle, it, it responds left and right, exactly the same. It's, you know, it, we, we forget, you know, how unusual it is to sit off, off, off to one side of a car until we go to a foreign country, rent a hire car and suddenly find ourselves on the opposite side. And we realize that our mind is completely, you know, 
corrected for for being off to one side. You know, you go into a right-hand corner and left-hand drive car and the car sinks and you go into a left-hand car, car lifts you up and there's none of that. You're just in the middle. Everything's rotating, um, you know, around you, rolling around you. Um, it was a great feeling. And then at that, at, at that point, as I say, um, once, you've, once you've defined, you know, in the design stages, the, the, the so-called hard point of, 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 of what the car was, um, you're then into a tuning exercise and that's where... Uh, the support came in from from our supplier ZF Sachs Racing at the time, who who, who supplied the dampers, and they'd kind of offered to to give us uh, some days on their four poster tuning uh, rig uh, in Germany. So, uh, you know, I trundled off down there with the with the car in the back of the truck, and 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 we dropped it on the rig, and and that's when you start getting into the real technical aspects of 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 of, of what damping you want in certain areas, uh, how the car is in terms of pitch sensitivity, roll sensitivity one wheel bump, say for example, when you're going over a, a curb on a track or you're hitting a pothole on the road. Um, and all of these things you can tune and that's, that, that's, that, that's how a, a vehicle dynamics or a vehicle engineering uh, person earns their money in essence really. And obviously it was something which I've been doing for, for many, many years um, to great effect with other, with other, business, other businesses and other products. So for me, that, that, that they're the kind of days where you can sort of immerse yourself in the technical details, but then Luckily, uh, in Schweinfurt, where the, the four-poster rig was based, they've got some great roads uh, on, on mountain roads. And we basically came up with two or three different setups um, with the car. Um, and then it's a question of, of, of putting that quantitative data next to some subjective data, which basically means driving the car, obviously. Um, and there was a mixture of, 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 um, of, of, of motorway, A roads, B roads, um, undulations, all various different surfaces, and basically spent... Um, quite a long time tuning the car on the road, as well as as well as what we'd done on the four poster, and picking one of those three optimum setups that we'd painstakingly developed over the time on the rig, and and, and that ultimately was what we called the the base setup of the car. Um, and then from there, you then obviously release that setting to to the damper supplier, and that's that's how he delivers the dampers to us. Um, but from then on, it was a question of 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 trying to then be able to offer customers the opportunity to tune their cars to their personal style of how they particularly uh, like the car to drive. Some people prefer a car to have a small amount of understeer. Some people prefer oversteer. Uh, some people prefer a very neutral car. Um, and just basically coming up with some, some tunable settings on the dampers, which of course are adjustable. So it allows the, the customer to, to be able to tune the car to, to his or her preference. Um, and that was the next stage of the, of the development process. And obviously that involved quite a lot of, of, of track testing. Um, and that's when, you know, even though I'd, you know, even though I'd achieved what I'd achieved in my, in my relatively short racing career, it's only then that you realize that you, you need a, a driver on a completely different level to yourself uh, who can be a, you know, a machine and a metronome and just, you know, lap, lap after lap after lap, exactly the same, drive exactly the same. Uh, and then, you know, if you've made a technical change, you can quantify it on the, on the, on the watch um, and of course that's that's when we started to look around for uh, for a potential partner uh, in in a driver um, and it was it was quite an interesting uh, quite an interesting journey um, I think Ian and I actually saw the same footage um, of an interview um, on um, on a Grand Prix it was at Barcelona I believe oh, it was Hockenheim uh, it was Hockenheim uh, yeah, and and, and 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 Ian and I both on you know, although we've been different locations, saw the same piece and they obviously interviewed this new hotshot up and coming young man who was what 18, I think, 19 at the time, and 
just the way he conducted himself, the way he, um, you know, the way he spoke and everything was was a great start. The fact that he was leading the Formula Three Championship was was perfect for us um, in terms of the performance of our car versus a Formula Three car. Very very similar in terms of straight line speed, marginally quicker actually in our case. Um, and so we thought, right, here's here's someone who's hungry, uh, who we can work with. And it just turns out that they were they were based just down the road from where we were based um, in Cheshire at the time. Um, and that really then started the journey of of, of working with uh, our old friend uh, Ollie Webb. Just just to just to back up slightly, what was what was very um, telling on the interview? I mean, he was he was very 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 eloquent, very professional. Uh, obviously, his driving, uh, uh, you know, the, the position he was in the championship showed him as being a good driver. But when the camera cut back to uh, Eddie Jordan, whoever it was who was with him, Eddie kind of like he's like, can I can I just can I just say, I'm proud of our industry when we bring young uh, guys uh, into the industry, and and our industry uh, makes them as eloquent and as as professional as that young man just was. You know, he he was impressed at how professional a job on camera uh ollie had just done you know so um yeah I, i've got goosebumps now actually thinking about it it seems crazy but it was a it was quite a moment and i and i think i think from there onwards um ollie and i formed a i mean ollie obviously gets on very well with everybody in the company but ollie and i formed a really good bond and relationship because in essence ollie was the professional driver that we needed but we're not selling the car to professional racing drivers, of course, you know, depending on, on how people's skills develop, um, they can get closer and closer and closer towards uh, the speed of a professional driver. But ultimately, the car is aimed at a certain type of individual. And, and, and I guess I'm a, a pretty good cross-section of, of, of those people. And so, in essence, what, what Ollie and I would do is, is when we would test parts on the car and we would test changes, um, Ollie would assess it um, and we'd be able to get, use him as the metronome, testing the baselines and the various different changes. And then I'd jump in and I'd assess the change almost from a, uh, from, well, from a customer perspective, in essence, um, to make sure that we'd, 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 we'd hit the, the sweet spot with where we want, wanted the car to be. And almost had this kind of telepathic understanding, really, of, 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 of what, what a customer would, would want um, and of course, at this stage, you know, we've, we haven't even handed over the first customer cars. So it was obviously, you know, there's a certain leap of faith in him and, and obviously in our own skills, as it had been for the entire journey up to that point, to make sure that the, the car was going to drive as well as it looks and that it, it, it delivered in every single aspect. And, um, you know, I think the, the rest is history and the fact that we've got so many lap records and, and actually three of those have been set by our customers um, is testimony to the fact of just how accessible the car is, what a joy it is to drive. Um, but also, you know, we talk about lap records, which as an engineer is, 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 is the ultimate accolade and the ultimate, you know, litmus test. But for me, some of the best drives I've ever enjoyed have been on the road, um, particularly with the Mono Owners Club. Um, you know, eight or 10 cars all line astern driving over the top of uh, a ski resort in, I think it was France um, last year, for example. And there's several hundred people all just stopping in their tracks to see these all these insects, you know, just just tripping over the top of this mountain. Incredible views, um, really interesting people. And then, you know, we were doing ten or fifteen miles an hour. You know, it's not about oversteer or understeer or breaking a lap record at that point. It's how something makes you feel. And I think that's the that's the thing that's hard in this situation to explain to people how the car makes you feel. Um, Try. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> there's been some. 
there's been some great quotes over the years. Um, I think um, I think the piece by Evo when they drove the car around Anglesey, I think I think Dickie Meaden did a brilliant job of of explaining who we are and what the car is all about. But he, he, you know, his words were, "It's like nothing else." Um, and I think I think that that those words, although they're very simple, um, says it all. Really, it is like nothing else. You know, you sit in the middle. Um, certainly, it's like nothing else in terms of a conventional automotive um, road experience, for sure. Um, those people who've driven, fortunate enough to, to have raced and driven Formula cars, for them it'll be, you know, it's it's what they're used to. Um, and in many ways, that's what we're selling. We're selling that we're selling that that race car dream, I guess. But sitting in the middle, being exposed to the to the elements, I say exposed. You're actually cocooned inside the car, so it's not as if there's there's any serious buffeting that you get from the from the wind at all certainly not below below 100 miles an hour um and it and it is you've got you know you've you've got nothing in your field of view um you know when we sit in our our daily road cars we have a pillars you know we have b pillars we have seats we have dashboards um you know and actually the piece of glass that you look out of with with with, with mirrors and sensors for gates and garages and all these different things these days it's quite an obscured vision that you have actually and, and and with our car you can almost see not quite 360 degrees but certainly 270 degrees right behind you you can see all around there's this freedom um th that you get uh instantly and then of course you know the fact that you're on your own and that you can feel the car gives you this this feedback like nothing else um it's um it's it, it, there's an incredible sense of solitude i have to say because um, you know, you're not being distracted by satellite navigation or phone calls or or anything else. And you can just focus on what you're doing and and um, it can be incredibly relaxing um, and peaceful if you're on the road. And then, of course, depending on on what speed you go in, it can it can demand, you know, demand all your attention um, and just give you a thrill like nothing else. I think Neil touched on an interesting point there. He made the suggestion that, you know, unless you've driven a formula car, you probably, you know, you'd not experience it, which is which is correct. Having said that, even those formula guys who've driven formula cars, they're driving with helmets on, which you don't always have to do in mono. Um, and they've certainly not driven at road speeds on the road in that car with suspension that's been optimised to, to work in that environment. So even a formula driver's not driven through a lovely windy road through a forest with a pair of sunglasses on, only doing 30, 40, 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, that's one of the things it is it is a very fast car and it's about going fast and, and all the rest of it and its performance but I remember I drove it back there was an event here in Germany I drove it back from a race interestingly from from um, solid the solitude ring and an old uh, f1 circuit and that idea that, that what Neil mentioned about um, that feeling of solitude it, it reminds me a little bit when I was uh, doing track days on a motorbike or when you're skiing um it's a quite a social thing. You're on the on the lift. You're talking with your friends. But when you put your goggles down and you put your hands back into your gloves and you and you push off on your skis or you put your helmet on and start your motorbike, your you, you, your social interaction with everyone around you all suddenly become just about that thing you're doing and that that, that the, the focus of that that solitude. There's a real purity to that. But what I wanted to mention was. You know, you do 40, 50 mile an hour down in just a windy country lane. You're not even, you know, you got, you're not even going at a, a quarter of what the, what, what the car's performance can do. But every car we drive nowadays, with the exception of mono, of course, it's about insulating you from the environment. You know, it puts windscreen and doors and air conditioning and soundproof and all these things. And, and that's great. If you want to drive from Stuttgart to Berlin and, and have a business meeting, you want to arrive fresh. That's not a criticism of those cars. But we take for granted a little bit the speed at which we're moving through the environment. And when you're suddenly out there and 
the wind's blowing on your T-shirt and you feel the warm air. And as you, as you drive into a forest, you, it's, you suddenly sense the cool air. You smell the forest. You, you, you're aware of the shade and, and a little chill goes over you. And you'd have to be going fast. There's just this wonderful feeling of moving through the world. Um, and everything's, be, everything's being delivered to your body. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's hard to describe. Um, and I, I sometimes worry, you know, when we're always talking about lap records and everything, is that we, that we perhaps don't put enough emphasis on that. Because you drive that car at 30, 40 mile an hour, just nice and like, and just drive it down a lovely windy lane, not even fast. And it's just a joy to be out in the world moving along. I remember one of my most memorable experiences, um, believe it or not, was was in central London. Um, you know, uh, was driving along the embankment um, and uh, I pulled up at some traffic lights. There was there was a motorbike alongside me. He was looking at the car. There was a, I think it was a BMW next to me or something. And I just, I just thought I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll pull away um, and I'll just, just, I'll just run it through the gears, you know, obviously within the speed limit. And I kind of looked around me, and 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 these things were were, were were nowhere to be seen in the background. And and I realized I was doing 45, 50 miles an hour, backed off a bit. I could see Big Ben and I could see the river, and there's people stopping and taking photographs. And I just had a t-shirt on, I just had some sunglasses on. I turned up at the traffic lights and, and people were getting off a bus to come and take photographs of me in, in, in the car. And I suddenly realized, you know, this is this is more than how the car makes you feel it's how the, how you and the car together and how you interact with the environment and other people can make can make you feel as well and of course you can be as anonymous as you like with a helmet on or you can you can be well known and just wear your sunglasses um but that was a city center drive for me and it was only a you know and and, and of course there was lots of traffic involved as well and it's 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 it is a different it's a completely different situation to to, to, to do something but then as Ian says when you put your goggles on or your gloves on or your helmet on a bit like when you finally get to be on the grid and everyone's disappeared when you race and it's not about you know tv interviews or talking to sponsors or this or that or the other it's just you and now I'm now going to race it's very much like that with everything else you've got going on in your in, in your life of of emails and messages and and phone calls and, and so on is that, that the car just takes you to this nice place um, and, and allows you to just enjoy your your sport or your hobby of, of, of driving. I get that a lot. So I get asked a, a fair amount of events and stuff, you know, what's have you driven the car and what's it like? And the, the first time I actually did drive the car was only, it was from the paddock at Anglesey to like a second car park, which I believe was like the old track, right, um, up there. And I remember sort of, I was yelling, like as in roller coaster style yelling, um, like sort of not hands in the air, of course. I remember looking down, <laughs> looking down at the wheel, and it said thirty-seven miles per right. hour, and I was just like, "That's," I was like, "That's absolutely pathetic." But it's you know, that it's that good a feeling, uh, doing whatever. And I remember Tiff Nadell said, um, "You know, he was driving sixty in uh, North Wales, and, he's, and he famously says, it feels like I'm doing one hundred and sixty because it's that sort of exhilarating yes. feeling." Yeah. Yeah, because because most other cars have filtered all that, the information that's coming to your body that that gives you that in, that that info, and suddenly when you get it completely undiluted, it it, it can be a bit overwhelming at first. Um, I, I know guys who've test driven the car and. I said, you know, the first time I went out, there was just such a lot going on. I'm getting so much sensory information. It was a little bit overwhelming, but by the time I went out the second time, I'd I'd kind of normalized to that and I was able to enjoy it and all the rest of it. And so, yeah, there, there is a lot, there is a lot of info coming there, but that, that, that's why you're doing it, isn't it? I mean, you, it's, uh, that, that's why you, that's why you pick an open top single seater supercar. <laughs> you sure. want that. 
So we know obviously Mono is amazing on the road, but we cannot ignore what it's done on the track. Um, obviously, as mentioned earlier, a lot of lap records around the globe. Which ones stand out for you guys? Ooh. Um, that cranky. Wow. I mean, I think what was what was great. I mean, Ian and I were invited many years ago um, as, as as guests of the Sepang circuit in Malaysia, um, and we were walking on the grid and. Uh, you know, for the Formula One race, and uh, and what a great place! You know, seen it on TV many times. Fast forward the clock five years later, we're there with the, with uh, Mono Owners Club. Um, you know, the, the from Hong Kong with with ten drivers. We've got the you know we've got the circuit to ourselves. We've got ten monos lined up, um, and you know the, the, the Stig's Chinese cousin goes out in the car, Sean and. Uh, and just sets this sets this time and the circuit the circuit chairman um he had a, i think it was a Porsche GT2 or something like that and 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 he knew what what was a quick time around there and of course the timing comes up on the screen and he came down from his office and he was just he was just shaking his head um he just couldn't believe it and so i think you know to you know these these big international circuits are, cer- are certainly very headline grabbing um but I think, you know, place just the fact that the car goes to a circuit and, and, and has beaten everything all before it. And let's be honest, these are incredibly well-funded, you know, household names, some of the best brands of anything in the world, and people like Porsche and Ferrari and McLaren and, and so on. Um, and for us to be able to, to, to be in, in that ballpark is, is one thing, but to be... In some cases, three, four, five seconds quicker is 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 quite remarkable, and of course, you know that's what the car's designed to do. So it it, it should be up there, um, but nevertheless, it's still still amazing. So you know, uh, Paul Sweeney, uh, one of our customers um, at, at Arnaud Durand, this was a, a, a circuit that we went to as part of the Mono Owners Club. And for those who don't know, you know, Mono Owners Club is is a collection of of all the owners. Um, uh, around the world who are members and we basically go and do various different uh, events around the world uh, typically two three four days and, and and there's always if possible a track day in there and um you know paul had enjoyed as, as we had two or three days of driving with his mates and, and and driving around france and germany and then absolutely battered it around this circuit and uh you know he's not a professional racing driver he's a he's a he's a he's, he's, he's a quick driver um, but he enjoys improving and getting better and that's what he's done with us and, and he walked away with a track record and that, that that makes me equally as proud as 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 doing any of the other international you know circuits with with professional drivers uh, if i'm honest um pete story recently i'm at brands hatch um again i mean he he drove down in the car from his house um you know uh, very relaxed typical pete style went out there had a great day's fun um needed some new tires because he'd not had any different tires on the car ever since he'd owned it in about three or four years put some new tires on so i'm just going to go out and do another couple of laps went out and, and and went another couple of seconds quicker and and then drove home you know and then we were we were driving on the m25 and and there he goes you know bombing passes on the way home um so it, it it's i don't know it's different different things give you different feelings and different levels you know all equally proud but but different um different for for their own individual reasons, I guess. I think um, I think the one that jumps in, jumps to mind for me um, because because on most occasions I'm not usually there. Um, Neil tends to be there for for these types of things for obvious reasons. Um, I'm the felt tip fairy back at base, as he calls me. Um, 
I think um, the Evo lap, um, obviously I got to see it on the video, um, but I was getting WhatsApps the whole the whole day from Neil. Um, and you know that's a that's 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 a that's a good a, a good all round circuit. It's got a really quite long back straight, although there's a bit of a kink in the middle of it, uh, twisty up and down. So it's it, it's not necessarily favours any particular kind of car, but obviously it, it does suit does suit mono. Um, what I found really interesting was if you looked at, for example, a car like a GT3 RS was a certain time, and then from the same brand, a Porsche 918, which is, you know, you're talking about going from 200 grand to a million. Um, it was like a second quicker, their own market. You, you looked at the McLaren, uh, the 675, and then compared that to what the P1 was doing. Same kind of thing, about a second difference. And then we went five seconds faster than the hypercars. Um, in fact, we went faster than P1 GTR, and that was the only car that was allowed to run on slicks because it's a track-only car. So the, the, the car in second place is on slicks, and everybody else on the list, including us, are on, are on road tires. And 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 that 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 gives, that gives me a tingle now when I think about that because it's it it it, is, it isn't just this little kind of little go kart track that kind of suits our car or anything. It, there's there's a long straight. We can take that kink flat out, which which the which the heavier cars can't. So that helps us as well. Um, but um, and 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 that was a great review by Dicky Mead and very well driven, uh, very well articulated and. Uh, yeah, that, that that was a bit of a milestone for me in lots of ways, not just the number that came at the end of it, but but the recognition that he gave us. And um, yeah, for lots of reasons, that was something I'll, I remember. Well, I, th I think in summary, Stuart, if you look at the different circuits, you've got, um, they're all different types of circuit. Um, and, and that for me is the most impressive thing. You know, you look at the, the new reference lap time that we set at, at Goodwood, um, you know, very recently, that's known as a power circuit, you know, predominantly it's, it's fourth, fifth, sixth gear, um, you know, down, down a couple of cogs for the, for the, for the chicane, but predominantly it's a lot to wide open throttle and it's all about a lot of straight line speed. And yet the car is just so incredibly fast around a so-called power circuit. Yeah. It's also very good at places like Anglesey, which has got a mixture of high speed, low speed corners, um, et cetera. And, and then you've got the big old open, wide open spaces of, of, of Formula One tracks of your Silverstones and, and, and your Sepangs, et cetera. And that just goes to show that it doesn't matter what the, what the circuit layout is. It doesn't matter what the test is actually, um, you know, that the car, the car will deliver in every single different type of environment. Okay, moving on to our unexpected guest of the episode and a fundamental player in Mono's performance down the years. Let's have your very educated and undoubtedly very correct guesses. Is it Mr. Ooh. Webb by any chance? Yeah, wild stab in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> Please welcome Oliver Webb. <laughs> All right. Oh, there he is. <laughs> Ollie, thank you so much for joining us on the BAC podcast, fresh from the track, as I can see. Um, listen, I think it's fair to say that your name is somewhat synonymous with BAC, given all you've done with us. How did that journey begin way back when? Um, that began when, um, I think, Neil, correct me if I get this slightly wrong, but I think my ex-girlfriend at the time, Alice, her friend's farm um, had the first body, or one of the first body monos being painted in it um and neil and alice got to talking and the next thing i know alice is on the phone to me and uh and then me and neil ended up on the phone together i think there and then on, on alice's phone i think and then um came to try out the car i 
being or came to see the car at, at Holmes Chapel and then and then have a go in it eventually at Alton Park and then uh, yeah six seven years later there we go that's the quick version there's more it's, to it it's actually ten years later Ollie well, yeah, <laughs> sorry yeah ten years yeah. to now yeah 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 no that that that's that's absolutely right I um, I remember um, obviously it, there's, with, through a phone call there's this perception and reality and of course Ollie in his career is used to talking to the best race teams and all, all the rest of it. And he's saying, yeah, I'll, I'll come down and I'll, I'll come and check the car out. So he comes down to, to our, our humble beginnings in Holmes Chapel. And, and I think that might've been a bit of a shock to his system. And then he came in and, and it was like, right, let's have a meeting then. And let's discuss thinking we'd probably go off to some kind of fancy boardroom somewhere and, and nice water and all the rest of it. And I was like, okay, let, let, let's just sit down here then next to the car. And we sat down and we had a chat and we worked out our commercial terms and, um, and and that was it. And then, the, you know, literally, Ollie was like, right, let, let, let's get in it and let's see what it, what it feels like. And I found a picture, actually, of, of Ollie sat, uh, you know, sat feeling the steering wheel and and the, and the instant first thing, that if you remember about the the, 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 the clutch rest, and uh, sorry, the clutch rest and the heel rest, Ollie, was was not far out for, first enough. And that was a, a quick instant change that we did just on the on the way the pedal box was and things like that. And then it was it was down to track testing and, for me, I'll never forget the the speed uh, of, of of seeing Ollie around Alton Park. I don't quite know how we ended up having the circuit to ourselves, Ollie. I think your, your dad came down. We were stood on the inside of Lodge and just rapid. Uh, and for me, it was like it was like we designed our own Formula Three race car. It was this guy who nearly just won the, the British Formula Three Championship in our car, the wine of the gearbox and everything else, and just absolutely barreling on. I don't know what your your first impressions were like of the car, Ollie. Yeah, it was, it was a great comparison to have the mechanical grip from a Formula 3 car to refer to because it was around about that time, wasn't it? Or just after it. Um, so, yeah, which, and, and to be at a track, which I knew is, means that part's out of the way, so you can just focus on the car and, and just love its its progressive attitude towards driving. And when you found the limit, the limit was there. There was no kind of hidden surprise behind it. Um, and there was also the, the exciting part as a driver, selfishly, is also making sure there's a little bit of room, which there always is in every car, to make sure you can have your your touch on it and and your your development on it because obviously if you get into something that's already perfect which nothing i'd say is um then you've got not much work to do so there was there was some there was some fine tuning of course to be done there always is and um it yeah it made it really exciting it made it exciting then we went on to, to countless countless days at myra and and the road testing and everything else that went along with it and the road testing was actually quite although sounds more boring, was actually quite interesting and exciting for a driver to be able to get that side of the coin, making sure a car that can do what you just, as a racing driver, expect it to just do on the track, but then also be usable on the road. Um, that was the exciting challenge from from my perspective, because I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to jump into all sorts on the track. So I, I naturally just expect something to be at a certain level on the track. So if you're impressed on the track and on the road, then it's uh, yeah, a good start. And it was. We've, we've, we've spent a bit of time, Ollie, before you came on, trying to put into words the, the, how it makes you feel when you drive the car on the road and on the track. And Ian and I have, have, have given our impressions. I've, I know it's a question that we frequently get asked, what's it like and, uh, and so on and so forth. And I know it's difficult, but, but try, and, try and put it into words and describe you know, the feeling of when you get in the car, how it makes you feel when you're on the road and on the track, um, you know, and, and, and what it is from, from your side, you know, as a professional driver, but also as a, as a person who likes to drive nice cars on the road and, and, and on the track himself, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think automotive therapy would be the short version of it, is what I would call it. Um, I think I'm involved in a lot of different types of, of cars and motorsport and people, and, and naturally, this world of, of high engineering cars attracts high net worth individuals, and, and by that same breath, people who probably leave fairly stressful lives or have done to, to achieve what they've achieved. Um, then they end up with a collection of cars and then they get introduced to mono and then and then you get asked this question. And I think being in something that distracts you in a positive way so much and that requires, let's say, quite a lot of focus to drive compared to the creature comforts of most supercars, um, that's an advantage, I'd say, not a disadvantage if anyone goes, you know, well, where's the radio play and where's this and all the kind of jokey questions you usually get for a single seater on the road. Um, but it is automotive therapy when you're driving that thing at a decent pace um, on a nice country road or, or flat out around the track, you have no choice but to think about the very present and what you're feeling and what you're experiencing. And you can't worry about your emails or, or family life or what's going on at work or, or anything like that. You have no choice but to focus on that apex or that line through that road if you're driving a TT course or your favorite country road. Um, so yeah, automotive therapy, that's what I'd call it, which I've, uh, I've never actually said that sentence before, but I'm going to use that again. I told you it was very eloquent, didn't I? We mentioned <laughs> earlier that first interview we saw in the Hockenheim paddock uh, with David Coulthard and you, you remember that? I think yeah. we mentioned it to you. And, and Eddie Irvin said how eloquent and professionally sounded. That was that there. You, you put it exactly right. And that's, exa that's if you, if you do uh, listen back to the podcast, you'll hear Neil and I, how we answered the same question. We said very much the same thing. Um, so yeah, almost like it was well scripted, thought. but it really, really wasn't. Yeah, no, no, that was great. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, um, I think it's Charlie Turner, editor of Top Gear magazine, calls it selfish solitude. I think they, they were the words yeah. that, that 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 he cho he cho chose. Um, one of my favourite experiences, Ollie, I don't know if you remember this, was when we were doing the uh, the ceramic brakes uh, testing, um, and we had the different uh, pad materials to test. Uh, we had three different uh, types of brake pad material, and we went to Alton Park. Luckily, we had the, the benefit of two cars. Um, and you know, this was also my home track. I'd, I'd won on it many, many years ago. Didn't probably don't know it as well as Ollie does, but, um, I thought, right, here's my, here's my opportunity. And what, what we did was, you know, we both drove different cars with different pads. We did it blind. And then we both came together to say, you know, the, the, the material that we preferred and why, and what our reasons were. And I think I was saying earlier, Ollie, you know, you're there, you're there from a professional driver, but you've also got a very good affinity for the type of customer who buys the car. And I think I probably represent that person in terms of my ability and my speed but prior to this test you know I've always dreamt of what I could we all do don't we what 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 might have been if 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 life had turned out differently and it was only when I followed Ollie that I realized the difference between probably a good club driver which is me and a seriously professional international driver which is what Ollie is and the differences of of how they drive and how they approach and um, you know, I, I realized I was braking where Ollie was accelerating because his perception of what's the, what, what, what happens out of a corner is equally important as what happens before it. And so trying to do the, the, the classic natural thing with amateur drivers of breaking that little bit later and trying to carry as much speed as possible into the corner is actually think about what the corner is that's coming out of it. And, and, and following Ollie through you know, certain types of corner around Alton Park, I learned so much just in, in my approach to driving. And, and, and I think that's that's one of the things that our owners uh, need uh, and like to get is feedback when we do Mono Owners Club days with Ollie and things like that of, of, of how they can improve their driving and how they can get better. 
you just reminded me do you remember Bilsterberg Ollie um, yeah. we were there with the technical director of the circuit he'd worked with Tilker on the design of it and Ollie went out the pits and um, just briefly it's a it's a it's a long curving straight it goes under like a, um, a gantry and then it goes into a hairpin on the inside of the hairpin is the clubhouse and we're stood on the on the terrace of the clubhouse and Ollie went out and you can hear him at the back of the circuit and the technical director he said uh, they're really fast guys they uh, they're breaking just just as they get to that gantry and the first lap Ollie came around and he changed up into six at the gantry and the guy <laughs> he went oh yo yo and he stepped away from the handrail <laughs> and, Ollie, and then I jumped on the with the curves off he went and he looked at me and he was like what because we told him he could have a drive later on i think he suddenly he suddenly started getting a bit scared (laughs) (laughs) oh yeah bill stavert feels like i would have loved to if i had the time and i probably should have done but like like um uh like you guys were saying obviously i'm at the track today so i've pretty much just come straight in from a session but i would have loved to have gone back through my phone before before this podcast because you guys are probably going to jog my memory of loads of different times and and I'll have to jog my memory when you ask me the questions of it, but I would have loved to have spent half an hour before this call. I'll probably end up doing it afterwards, although it's not that's not as relevant for your guys' podcast. Of all the different trips and stories and the kind of, there's almost too many going on in my head to actually bring them up. But even when you're talking about the brake testing, I remember going to Bruntingthorpe either before or after those Alton Park days and um, measuring between the steels. And I remember when we did the first brake test and we just thought it's got to be wrong. We've got to test it again. Oh, maybe the cones are laid out wrong. Maybe the, I remember we went out and got a different uh, measuring stick, one of those things that roll with the wheel, because we would just thought there's no way that this car is stopping 30 meters earlier on, on the first day of testing the new carbon ceramics, as well as the weight difference. Um, yeah, really interesting. I mean, and, and the fact that of how much lighter those, uh, the bit that we almost forgot to address in a positive way is that we're so focused on making the braking better in the car that when we were doing those lap times at Alton Park and, and we were measuring the brake distances and we're thinking well where's the other one and a half seconds coming from and then all of a sudden it's like oh Jesus it's like two and a half kilos lighter a corner so maybe it's just the fact that the whole co- the cold car is so much lighter now as well yeah good times testing those brakes. Let me jog your memory with another one which I'll never forget obviously when we um uh, at Goodwood, um, we'd run a few times up the hill. In fact, in the very first year, I drove up uh, in, a, in a shirt, you know, when it was allowed in 2011. But they they created a class race cars for the road because mm. um, we were obviously we were all a lot quicker than the than the supercars. And I remember uh, I remember saying to Ollie, uh, "If you crash, we'll kill you, but we'll kill you if you lose as well." <laughs> <laughs> God bless him. He went out and did the quickest time. But maybe you can maybe you can talk about about that that running up the hill. Yeah, it's uh, it's often kind of the, the phrase that you hear as a driver, especially with with development parts for for cars and everything. At the start of a lot of people's journeys for both manufacturers and and race cars, is things tend to be one of one, and obviously a slogan that goes hand in hand with mono, but also goes hand in hand with starting a company is you've got to you've got to have the wow factor in there, but also make sure that it's still in one piece at the end because it's it's a big task for, for a, a newish firm, even at that stage, to, to rebuild your, your special car um, when you're in the process of getting the customers' cars out there as well. But Goodwood is a, is a very special place and probably the best place to do that with. But unfortunately, it's the, the least forgiving um, in that sense. And, and the same with the Goodwood Motor Circuit as well and, um, and Nordschleife. It's frustrating that all of these records that people want to get are at the most dangerous tracks. It's not, it'd be great if everyone just went to Silverstone with a load of rock. And if you get it wrong, you can just try again. But yeah, 
Goodwood is, uh, yeah, half the car tends to be on the grass half the time. The rest of it's clipping hay bales. And I remember after we did that, well, it ended up being, you know, for four or five, six years afterwards at Goodwood. But I remember that first proper year that we went for that time at Goodwood and, and we won. And I remember each run, you know, building up to it and getting closer and closer. And then eventually in the last two runs, I remember, I think I was with Neil and, um, and Sam at the time, and we were picking hay from between the rim and the tyre where the tide's just folding over its edge and, and then as it, it was the car was gripping back up and the tire wall was straightening back up it was pulling hay out of the tire barrier um, in between it so we knew we were finding the limit there without without scratching any of the car but we're still getting hay <laughs> in between it and, and with a car that's you know um yes you can see the arches but it's it, the peripheral vision when you're going through that tunnel of the flint wall and goodwood is uh yeah very tough very tough it's an amazing skill, actually, I've got to say. I mean, um, you know, when you drive around a circuit, you say to yourself, I'll break a bit later or I'll get on the power a bit earlier or whatever. But, to, you know, to, 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 to basically parade yourself around and, and uh, on, a, on a stand and meet customers and all the rest of it and then put your helmet on and, and just literally switch on for 45 seconds. It's, uh, I think we've said before, Ollie, the, you know, it's an incredible skill to be able to just turn your brain on instantly and just, you know, be, be within millimetres of, of, of where you were the previous run. It, it's, it's so impressive. Um, I almost put my Ollie Webb uh, uh, T-shirt on, actually, the one that we did to, to, to celebrate the Goodwood win. Uh, yeah um today uh but no i think goodwood goodwood stands out for me as always i mean i mean and more recently ollie there was there was there was the lap uh you know last week which again blindingly fast and 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 the, the feedback we've had from from what we've posted is you know people are thinking that the footage is, is 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 sped up you know and it's like no this is this is this is real and and you look at where the car is positioned and it's there's there's not much more on the table um and Ollie famously got out and um, and, and and was and, and said that was that you know, that, that that's a quick lap. And he said that ten years and I've still not put a scratch on a car. I think is he was his famous words. <laughs> never famous ever... famous last words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just one thing I want to ask Ollie because I've got to make a confession. I've driven um, prototype versions of Mono R when when that engine was in a regular uh, last generation Mono, what we refer to as Mono W. Um, and I've driven at various stages, but I've actually never driven the production-ready Mono R. And so I'd be interested from your point of view, um, what is what is the, the difference? What is the step change from from a Mono W uh, to Mono R? I mean, just for just just for your reference, I found a, a lap of Goodwood um, Alex West going round in his original 2.3 Cosworth engine Mono, um, and he's doing like nearly 130, 128, 129, something like that. And you did a one. A 150 and of course you're a professional driver and stuff but can you characterize the uh differences for me actually because i've not driven the production car you boys are just <laughs> nicking all my questions by the way I just, <laughs> i've got everything no, down you, mate. Basket, just crossing things out <laughs> on, Ollie. after you um i'd say more lively is is the the key feature of it um, obviously it's less weight more more racy uh, and the power difference i think the, the thing when we were developing the 2.3 that was always the case was um as always drivers ask for is i just wanted more power from it and i think if it had been engineered worse and had less grip you'd feel like the 2.3 was already a very quick car but because it was engineered well and had so much grip you almost kind of made a rod for your own back because then it had so much grip that even flat out with a load of lock, it kind of just stuck and went. So it did the lap time, but in a slightly less emotionally captivating way. So 
it would do the Top Gear lap time, it would be P1, it would get all of its lap records. Um, and even the case where some customers would drive in and go, yeah, it feels it feels quick, really impressive. And then you get out and be like, oh, by the way, you were three seconds quicker than you were in your P1. You're like, what? There's no way. Um, and there was a slight disconnect in that feeling between how quick it actually is versus how quick it feels. It would just do it. Um, with the R, the biggest difference there is that you do feel that power. It's more lively. Uh, if you go flat out with a load of lock-in, it will bite, um, which is a natural curve and progression of a car that you then, you know, you, you've got to the limit almost of the grip and you need to then give it a bit more power. And that's what this feels like it's got. So if you blindfold me and throw me from a 2.3 into a mono R, it feels like it's been stripped of 100 kg and given 100 horsepower more. That's just the raw feeling you get from it. So I'd say it's a tougher car to drive, um, but anyone who wants that last couple of percent, that's where that's what the R gives you. Interesting. You just reminded me also of, do you remember, because I mentioned Alex West, we were at Anglesey and he was in his P1 and he was going quick um, and everyone said, oh, you're going really quick. And he, and he said, yeah, but I'd be quicker in my mono. And then he said, really? And he's like, yeah. And then I think you, you went out in mono with, and he followed you. No, he went out in the P1, you followed him for a lap and then you swapped over and you went in front and just drove away from him. Um, yeah, that was a good day as well. <laughs> he was yeah. great like that, Alex was. He was, you know, the, he, you know, he was happy to admit that, that you know, this less expensive single seat car was quicker than his pride and joy at the time. You know, it was. Yeah. Our dad was actually sat in the front seat next yes. to Alex when he did that. He said, I just, he, said, I just, he said, I just couldn't believe. He said, Alex is absolutely on the brakes and, and all, all the ABS is all cutting in. He said, and then Ollie just flies up the inside of us. And then with after a couple of couple of corners, he's like two seconds down the road, you know. Um, so, uh, so yeah, Stuart, I think you've got to ask one of your questions. I've run out. They're all gone. Thank He'll you. He'll just <laughs> reminisce otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> now, I'll put you on the spot, Ollie. You've had, uh, obviously, 10 years with us um, and driving mono. Had a lot of success around the world. And to put you on the spot, as I said, what is your favourite moment of them all? Oh, I just, just mm, I don't know. I, I, I discuss, I'm gonna, I'm, I'll probably list off about seven now. I'll start saying one and then I'll think of another. The one that comes to mind is some of the ice driving events that we've done. Um, what makes it fun, as much as there was a lot of stress involved as well, what makes it fun is um, being part of something from the start. So when we started new ventures like the ice driving stuff rather than being hired by a company hey come and drive this um car and you know the track already you know the event and you're just driving the car um it's you know helping organize the event happen and being involved in the stuff in the background so everything's everything's new everything's exciting and the ice driving event when we first went i think originally it, it came as a birth child from doing uh, a Top Gear event where we right, yeah. went to their location, did their event, and then thought, you know what? Mono actually was mega on the ice and everyone else loved it. Let's make our own event. Um, and I think the surrealness of that first Top Gear event, um, less so on the actual ice itself, but more driving on the roads to get to the ice lake in this thing that just should not in any way whatsoever be on that road. Um, and just sliding it sideways with a straight through pipe, old WRC style sound, um, you know, when you're told to just be sensible and cruise down to the lake and then uh, <laughs> Ian can hear him while he's having his breakfast, the, sound, <laughs> the, car, the car belting through the trees down towards the lake. Um, 
yeah, that that's quite a standout moment because that was really fun being being in those in those roads with that with that car. Um, of course, the Top Gear lap, um, going and testing and doing uh, and doing that and, and that being the quickest was was great for for all the team. That was very very early on. Um, I don't know. There's so, there's so many different trips and uh, but but I think I think the ice driving stuff was was the craziest thing that we've done with that car. I'm quite out of my comfort zone because at that point. I hadn't done rally cross or rallying like I've done a little bit now. Um, and with that car and, and with the studs in the tires and, you know, we were hand studying the tires at, at that point because, you know, there was just no tire manufacturer ready with our size rim with, with arches above them, you know, with that ride height that would work. So we were hand studying them and all that. So the whole venture to leading towards being on an ice lake in that car was, was exciting. And, and Neil almost falling into the lake on a little tricycle that he found on the side of the lake, and all sorts of funny stories. And 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 about. snow snowboarding behind Ollie uh, oh, uh, on, on a on a on a tow rope doing about sixty miles an hour on the ice while Ollie was was going sideways with one hand and filming it with his cap with his with his <laughs> yeah. phone on the other, and I'm and I'm hanging off the back. That was that was quite fun. Um, the other one for me, Ollie was uh, was when um, do you remember. Uh, I still can't remember we actually did this at the Hungara ring uh, when we were filming at making a film. Um, I um, had the stupid idea of getting a toe off Ollie on a skateboard. Um, so Ollie started to, 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 to drive off down the pit lane and then he was, he was going quite a reasonable, you know, normal pace and I'm holding on on the skateboard. Then, I, then Ollie sorts of, he gets the exit and of course he's got to accelerate and off he goes. Um, but little did I know that obviously the circuit at Hungara ring is on a hill um and incredibly i actually made it round to turn five uh which is the corner that Philippe massa had his incident so i come barreling into the first corner on the skateboard and then i can hear in the background ab, ab, and i'm thinking i'm either going to die on this skateboard i'm going to die because ollie's <laughs> going to run me over um so that was yeah. another another good memory for me the other two stories that do spring to mind uh one was i remember when we did the first wales rally gb event of which we ended up doing about three um, and uh, I knew how much rallying meant to, to Neil and Ian um, at that time. Less so to me, I was into rallying, but I wasn't brought up on it. Um, and we actually got to do part of the half tarmac, half like muddy gravel style stage that the WRC cars had done. And, uh, and Neil, being the anorak he was, was timing them all as they were all coming through. And then when we went to do our show runs, we asked if we could go last for our show run and pretend that cars turned off and oh, I'm just restarting it or whatever so we could actually try and get a stage time to see what we were like and finding out that we were like mid-pack in world rally in a single seater on road tires um gunning it in between the walls drifting it sideways of what, of what was meant to be like a 30 mile an hour maximum speed limit with, with all these flags flying that was that was great um and then uh, oh what was the other one that I was uh, I was going to say oh yeah the other moment which is now fun to look back on at the time was some of the worst moments ever but back with the very very first car um with issues that are, we're, we're blessed that um we don't have today but but 120 odd cars go i have i don't know how many cars you guys are on now but back with car one when we were struggling with and, and practicing with radiator sizes and different alternator sizes and fittings and where they go um and i remember we had to go and display the car um I think it was at Mercedes, outside Mercedes F1 for an event. Um, 
um, which again, in, in the usual Neil fashion, told me it was about five miles down the road, but I think it was about 200 miles away or something. Um, and I remember getting in the car, driving there in the day, no problem, a little bit cold, a little bit of snow, um, and then came to drive back in winter and it was pitch black, hailing, um, and the lights were starting to dip because the alternator wasn't quite right back then. So then I would use a little bit more revs to try and keep the lights up, but then the radiators weren't cooling down the temps quite enough. So then if I used too much revs, it would overheat the car. So it was this balance for 200 miles uh, in this car on a trade plate uh, 10 years ago of trying to keep the lights just bright enough with enough revs to keep the alternator and the battery working, but without overheating the radiators to the point where I think it was the longest journey ever. I remember having Neil on loudspeaker with my, I, my, my little air earphones inside under the helmet you know trying to use my iphone torch out the front of the car to light up the journey and it just <laughs> makes me think when you you kind of take day to day but then if you flash back 10 years ago and look at there with your iphone torch hanging out the front of the car to try and see where you're going to, to now breaking all these lap records and not even thinking twice about that stuff it's uh, it makes it it makes it fun a fun memory although it wasn't at the time i remember you coming in the uh coming in the, the unit in Holmes Chapel and you were not best pleased and you were shivering. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, th I think he had his think he had his college his college scarf on around underneath his race suits and various different layers that, that, that he had on and he kind of came in sheepishly and shaking saying there's there's the keys mate I'm going home for a shower. <laughs> that was that was the end of that one. <laughs> Ollie, I know you've got to get back to the circuit, um, so we'll no. say thank you and goodbye for now. But listen, thank you so much for joining us. And I apologise in advance because I am going to steal your automotive therapy line forever in my <laughs> PR work. So thank you so much, mate. We'll see you soon for sure. Good to, good to see you, Ollie. Yeah, good to see you. Good, yeah, that, thanks for finding the time, Ollie. It goes without saying, you know, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Ten years of, of, of great times and, uh, and more, lap record, uh, more lap records and great memories to come. Yeah, I look forward to it. And that's that for the performance episode of the BAC podcast. Another really interesting episode, boys. Yeah, um, it, it was great to relive um, those memories with Ollie. And it's funny, isn't it? You know, uh, every time someone mentions a word, Neil mentioned solitude. So I had, I remember a memory of driving back from solitude, or Ollie mentioned something, and you remember things, or we jog his memory. We've done so much stuff together. Um, it was, uh, it was great to relive that with him, actually. Yeah, I know. Agreed. Um, I think with this whole thing, you know, reflections is a great thing and it also reinforces the progress that you've made. Um, and it's been great that Ollie's been part of the journey almost from, from, from the start to the present. So it's great having him on um, and great reflecting on some of the, the great driving experiences that we've, we've had on the road and on the track and uh, many more to come. For sure. Next time out, we're diving a little bit deeper into driving and focusing on the experience. So that's looking into events from around the world, like drifting on the frozen lakes in Sweden. I need to hear that tricycle story properly as well. And tackling the Atlantic road trip with the Mono Owners Club. Some great stories to be told for sure. We'll catch you guys next time.